0: Reggae uprising with your host Denise. Greetings, Reggae Uprising podcast family, and welcome to another episode. For my newcomers, welcome, welcome to the show, welcome to the family. Um, This podcast is all about connecting people of the diaspora through wisdom, inspiration and an insight into our collective consciousness along with some sweet reggae music. Now I have a different guest every single Wednesday and they share their experiences with all of us along with seven reggae selections. Now, to my listeners that tune in every Wednesday, thank you so much for your support. It really does mean the world to me. And if you would like to get involved, please get in touch via any of my social media. So it's Daniil Music, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, you can get in touch via my contact page on denil.co.uk. Right, let's get things started for today's episode. We're going to start off with my guest's first selection for this week, which is Millie Smalls' My Boy Lollipop. My Boy Lollipop
1: You let my go, up
0: in the UK include being a team leader, teacher, assessor, working with adult offenders and ex-offenders. In 2013 she started a monthly showcase in Leicester called City Link Up Unsigned where artists from the surrounding cities could network and collaborate. In 2014 it moved to Camden and has since had X Factor and the Voice Scouts at the event which resulted in 2017 winners Araxu from Watford also being scouted. In 2015, she held her first Britain's Got Reggae event at the Hootenanny, which has grown in notoriety throughout the years and resulting in winner's prizes such as a performance at One Love Festival, various carnivals, as well as a performance at Ratatam Sunsplash in Spain in front of 20,000 people. I would also like to congratulate her on her success in 2020 in becoming a BA Honours Music Business graduate. I would like to welcome Céline Braithwaite. Greetings and welcome, Céline. Hey, hi, Daniel. Thanks for having me. You're more than welcome. You're more than welcome. It's lovely to have you on the show. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your heritage, as I ask all my guests here on Reggae Uprising podcast?
2: Okay, my heritage, my mum, she is from Barbados and my father is from Jamaica, so I'm a bit Jamaican-Basian.
0: Can you tell us the reason for your first selection?
2: Um, Millie Smalls um, is an artist close to my heart from a little girl. I had my little record player in in my room and Millie Smalls was the first um, 45 that I owned. And I can remember it's an orange label, and I can remember everybody was come for fighting. That was on the B side, so um, yeah, that's why I chose it. That's always like a memory. And in two thousand eighteen, I think it was two thousand eighteen, I won the International Reggae Day Award, and um, Millie Smalls was um, won as well. So that was like brilliant. You know, like, I've grown up and I've got an award on the same day as um, Millie Smalls. Lots of other people got awards as well, but, uh, yeah, like Trojan Records and Jetstar. But, um, yeah, it was amazing just to, you know, that, you know, Millie Smalls was nominated, received an award, and, you know, and I was on
0: the same panel as her. So, yeah. Wow, congratulations. That's amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. So going back to, you know, your heritage, your childhood, growing up, what are kind of the memories that stand out for you the most in terms of, I don't know, your school days or morals that you kind of were taught or lessons that you learned in your early years?
2: Growing up. um, When I think like growing up, the, the first memory, like when you say going to school, what instantly... Um, pops in my head is the racism that I received (laughs) um it's a we moved into a new area in Leicester it was Northfields and I can remember going to the junior school well well actually the first day we moved in my mum was sending me shop and I was approached by six girls and one claimed to know me and that she wanted me And not in a good way. Um, She wanted me like I'd done her something. And obviously I didn't know her because we just moved in that day and I was just sent to the chip shop to get something because we was unpacking the first time in the area. I didn't even know where I was. So, yeah, that's my first memory, like, um, moving to this area and it was quite racist um, and going to school and outside the school gates being on this green patch every night. (laughs) You know, having to fight—that's that's my—that's my, that's what I remember. Like that's what instantly pops in my head to childhood. Um, it was quite, yeah. That was that was a big part of my life that always stands out. Um,
0: so, what were your coping me- mechanisms for that then, in dealing with with those, you know, obstacles that you faced in terms all of all racism? To
2: stand up and stand up and fight for my rights. Literally, you know what I mean? Because that's how how it was back then. You know, or you're going to let somebody you know, be beat up on you every day. That that first day when we did, like she she was about to pounce on me. I ended up giving her a pasting and took my chips back because I gave her friend the chips to hold and I walked home. And I was scared because I thought these girls, there's six of them, there's only one of me, you know what I mean? But I knew that I couldn't let them get the better of me on that first day because otherwise I know what I would have been looking forward to. So I had to just put a brave face on. And um, stand up for myself, basically. That's what I did.
0: And did you tell your parents when you got back what happened? Or did you just kind of keep stum, or... Um Yeah,
2: I, you know, I told my mum. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, even when I went to school at first, I wasn't... Um, like, I was taking all the aggression and taking all the mouth, because I know my mum ain't me to school to fight, and my mum would beat me if I'm fighting at school. And it went until I went to my grandma's, my Jamaican grandma. She's a Christian. And I told my grandma, and she just said to me, Serlene, if anybody lick you, lick them back. <laughs> <laughs> and from that day when she told me that, that's exactly what I did, and that sticks in my head as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I stood up for myself because I wasn't standing up for myself at first. She, the way she said it, the aggression, and she's my Christian grandma. She told me, don't take it. If anybody licks you, lick them back, you know. And from that day, i just done
0: what she said. Can you remember any <laughs> other life lessons that your your grandmother, you know, kind of instilled into you from young? Um, from
2: young, I've always been taught to um, respect my elders. And I think that's really important. Like, you know, um, you can't walk into somebody's house without saying good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or whatever it may be. You know, Mr or Mrs, you call them by there. You know, you don't call them by the first name. You know, like, yeah, just manage and respect.
0: We're going to move on to your next selection, which is Bob Marley, War. Why did you choose this selection?
2: I think um, we're all going through this... Covid situation Everyone's got their own thoughts And basically That song just You know um,
0: Yeah that song just reflects What we're going through Here we go with Bob Marley War
3: Until the philosophy Which old one race Superior and another Inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned Everywhere is war, it's a war that until there are no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation Until the color of a man's skin Is of no more Significance Than the color of his eyes Miss a war That until The basic human rights Are equally guaranteed To all without Regard to race It is a war That until that day The tree Everlasting peace. World citizenship Rule of international morality.
0: will remain in but a fleeting illusion to be pursued. Now can you tell us more about your progression into working with ex-offenders?
2: Okay, um working with ex-offenders is the job. I got I started working at um send prison on the resettlement unit helping the females um upon release so at them times they bought the pin phone system so it was hard for females that were being released into the um be released into the um, community, they need to get their children's back, they need to get their houses sorted out. So it's very difficult when you've only got a PIN and phone system where you can just ring particular numbers. And sometimes waiting on the offices, it could take weeks leading into months. So we was there just to give them that direct support. So anything they needed, we could do the research, get the paperwork, find out the information and get it back to them the next day, you know what I mean, or the same week, you know, so um that one came to an end. That was a week a year's pilot project. Um, I applied for another job, um, with another organisation working with offenders and effects offenders offenders and ex offenders. Um, I think I was a job broker in that one. Um we went into prisons, we helped women that were coming on release, trying to get them into employment and training. We were used to going to do talks in prisons and stuff like that. And um, I then, that one came to an end after three years. I then worked in a college um, on a programme training um, offenders and ex offenders. we put them through a qualification and I was responsible for finding them work placements. So the qualification went alongside the work placement. So they'll get the experience um, like in a hostel alongside the job. So that was my job was to find the organizations and um, do these, make these partnerships up with the ex-offender and the organization is to do CRB checks and stuff like that. And that one came to an end and then I applied for a team leader's job and um, I got that, you know, and uh, yeah, it it just happened so quickly, um, and yeah, I was there for for three years, and that led to you know I had a car accident. I stayed there for a year, then I left work because so I wasn't very well. So yeah, so yeah, I worked my way up to team leader, so I felt really good. I was on a good wage.
0: Okay, yeah. in terms of your, um, you know, the training that was offered to those offenders and ex-offenders um can you tell us what that entailed what kind of training they offered and in terms of the talks what were the talks on and who were the talks by
2: okay so um the training offered to this it was a qualification it supported it was called supporting the needs of um offend offenders and ex-offenders so was, i think it was a qual- level two or three qualification. So they'll come to our college and they'll have days like two or three days where they'll, um, you know, go through the qualification and meet all the criteria. So they'll get teaching sessions. They'll get job and um, broken sessions, which I used to run as well. So basically we'll show them how to go through an application, how to write the CVs you know, how to disclose gaps in their work history because a lot of the people we work with were out of, didn't even finish school, was out of work for a long time, they might have been in prison, you know, so they might not have a work history. So it's about how disclosing that to get a job. So there's certain techniques you can use, you know, how you um, explain yourself. So we help them with a job because obviously they've got to explain that big gap what's missing out of their history so yeah it's things like that we help so job brokering as well um the talks um some of us have the opportunity to go to um sweden on a couple of occasions to talk about the work we was doing at these organizations i'm trying not to mention the names i don't know if it's okay um so yeah and we used to um have conferences while we was away with people from all over the world um, where they'll discuss how they did it in their countries and how they work with female offenders in particular. Um, We visited – I think it was in Switzerland or Sweden. Switzerland, I think. We visited a prison there. It was like by a lake. and you know how the women did it they shared like sort of kitchens they were sort of trusted so it's like a halfway house so basically it was just learning lessons learned from each other and lots of pilot projects um away from that as well
0: so what would you say the differences are with the which which countries did you actually you know um exchange (laughs) Um, ideas with and what would you say the differences were between the different countries how they went about things
2: um sweden that's the only one i can really talk about because i went there switzerland sorry um it seemed more relaxed you know there was given a lot more freedom they could even do the lottery <laughs> you yeah. know um they shared like a sort of part of this it looked like a, not a container it's like a building but it look you can tell it's been put together quickly so it's like a little mini flat so they'll share, the, they can do their washing, and they had the boat outside where they built this boat, because they had a lake out there that was building the boat, so that's what some of them did, some of them would go into the city to go to work, and then come back to the place, so yeah, so it was seemed more relaxed, and you know, and oh, yeah, it seems more relaxed than the UK, I know there's different stages um, of prisoners, and where they get to, but I think their main stage was that. So yeah, they had a lot more freedom when they're supposed to have been banged up. Yeah.
0: Do you not... know why that is? Is that to do with the system over there or why do what's your in your opinion they're, why they're do you think that was? Have a, I think they
2: probably have a less crime rate, not so high. Um Yeah, I think they probably don't have such a high crime rate. And they'd probably done their research and tested and seen what works best for them and their people um,
0: yeah, and in doing that work over there, did it have any did it make any changes to your work in the u k Did they use any of the things? did they implement them you know in in the u k system well, I, or not really
2: yeah, there was actually i think there was a prison in Lincolnshire, it used to be a men's prison, then it turned into a female prison, and it was um like a foreign national prison so you have a lot of foreign nationals um that was in the prison or who will do their time and get deported back to whatever country so they had like people from all different countries there um and what they did they did build a another building up the road a couple of miles up the road from the prison which was like a halfway house so the ladies near release or was going outside to work on a daily basis. And if there was some good behaviour, could go into that part and live there so they could just trust it just to go to work and go home. So it was very similar to what was happening, yes. Yes, it did. Okay. because yeah, I noticed that happened. I didn't make the connection, but it did happen.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. And yeah. um, you did mention earlier as well that um, you were in an accident and was that the cause for you to change you know, from, from doing that work yeah. into going into events? Yeah. What what was the accident? How did that, you know, what was the change that happened that, you know, made you get into that sector, and, into events?
2: Yeah, my accident was on the M1 motorway. I was leaving Leicester. So obviously, I'm originally from Leicester. Um, I live in London, and so I was visiting my family Sunday night, coming home to get work, go home, on go to work on Monday. And um, basically, I was driving in the fast lane, but I was forced to go in the fast lane. There's a car in the middle lane that didn't need to be in the middle lane. And as I was passing him, he sort of, well, not as I was passing him, as I was about to pass him, he sort of sort of glided in front of me. It wasn't a definite move. He just sort of glided. I put my brakes on, you know, when your heart flutters. Because um,
1: hmm. it
2: wasn't a definite move or he didn't indicate. So he just glided in front of me. I put my brakes on. And then he moved back over. I'm thinking, you idiot, you know what I'm saying? Because he didn't even indicate or anything. So I'm Because I've slowed down now, I'm still in the fast lane, I put my foot down, let me get past this man. And as I was trying to go past him again, he's, he's swerved again. And he's clipped my car, so my car just went out of control. It seemed like forever I was banging on the um, middle of the, the central reservation. Um, and then eventually it stopped. I looked behind me. I was hit with something. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know where it was. Um, I was trying to get out the door. I couldn't get out. I looked behind me. I could see all the car headlights coming down because it was dark as well. I had a little black car. So, yeah, it was a bit, it was scary, man, very traumatic. I eventually got the door open because I couldn't get it open at first. And I just remember getting onto the hard shoulder and just the breeze from a truck. Like, I don't remember even crossing the road. It's like, I think I was in shock after that I was shaking like I've never shook like that in my life uncontrollably you know what I'm saying Yeah. and I went to the other driver he was crying and apologizing um, I just asked him if it was all right um, and then yeah police were there in no time ambulance was there in no time the recovery truck was there everything just happened so quickly and I was t- taken to Watford hospital so yeah
0: Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, it was
2: like very. Wow. It's it was very traumatic. It has affected me. They diagnosed me with um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder four years after the accident. Three three to four years after the accident, I was just deteriorating, and I didn't make the connection. I didn't understand why I was feeling the way I was. I couldn't shake it off. And yeah, so I had to leave my job the next year because I just wasn't coping very well. And it took, like, you know, a couple of people. I was sent for tests on the NHS and privately, and they both came back, severe post-traumatic stress disorder, from the accident. So, yeah.
0: So how did you overcome that? What was, you know, the light bulb moment for you that kind of changed everything?
2: Well, like I said, that took three years, so three, four years, so... In that time period, I was, like, in a bad way. I sort of cut myself off. I isolated myself. I'm still a bit like that now, to be honest. Um, and I wanted to know, like, what life is about. Why am I here? Because, like, I nearly lost my life. So, like, I was reflecting how I lived my last few months. I hadn't even seen my family. Everything was just thrown into work. You know, I lived and breathed work. And, and I think I ain't even, like see my family. I've not been to Leicester hardly this year, you know what I mean? Twice if that. You know what I mean? No one seen me, so yeah, so that was my light bulb moment and, you know, I've got to you know, I vowed I, I need to do something for myself. You know, I wanna be more free and what I do in my life I felt like reflecting on working. I felt like, you know, I give too much. You know, I can put that energy into something else. Yeah.
0: Something you really enjoy and that fulfills you. Yeah, something
2: I enjoy. But not that I thought it was music. When I got into the music, um, it was at that time when I was diagnosed, I felt like I got my mojo back because I knew, you know, knowing what was going on. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I couldn't understand why I couldn't shake this thing off. So now they had this name, even though I don't like to take on labels, but like um, this complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So... I felt like then I want to do something because I'm a person that likes to keep doing different stuff, keep busy. But, you know, this issue, what I was having, I didn't understand it and I didn't feel like doing anything. I didn't want to see nobody speak to nobody. I just wanted to be on my own. So, yeah, that's how it was.
0: Okay, wow. Oh my gosh, what a story. Um, We're just going to move on just for a second because I need to squeeze in another one of your selections. But we are going to continue talking about your work in events and how all of that's evolved. Um, Your next selection is Claire Angel, Run the Wicked Away. Can you tell us a little bit why you chose this selection without telling us too much about, you know, your events, if you can, (laughs) because we're going to get onto that.
2: Okay, I chose this song. Um, I think it's a great song. It's an artist I worked with and this song got her to number it went to number seven in Port in Europe. Um, yeah in a quick a quick um, quick time it did um, with the help of Bucky Joe who um, recorded and did the rhythm for her, so yeah, that's why I chose it. I like the lyrics, I like the song.
0: I liked how she sat on the rhythm. Yeah. Here we go with Claire Angel, run the wicked away. When them bomb, with them yet, and them fally and them ting And I control the mind of the young innocent,
4: we are go bond them out, Yeah. We are go talk it load and bro, yeah. yeah. We see them from afar, them I come with them blar and them now put them more in a them parts. We are go on them out, yeah. We are go shout it load and bro, yeah. Watch it. In that this crazy world you want to try have to even, even what
0: now moving into the world of events um how did city link up come about we know why you kind of wanted to get into the events business and music but how did you come up with the idea of city link up was it random did you think about it for months it,
2: it was random at that point like I was just saying um I wanted to do something, I was in Leicester, I was at my mum's, spending time at my mum's, I was just in the bedroom at my mum's, she was concerned, and then I, when I found out what was wrong with me, um, I just noticed, like, everyone around me, I was somewhere, and I thought, everyone around me into music, like, but there's no events, or nowhere where you can go and listen to them, I thought, all this talent, and the, the, I can't go nowhere to see not one, so... That was in Leicester, so um, I decided like, I'm going to put on. I'm just going to put on events like once a month, so people can network. Because you've got Leicester, you've got Derby, you've got Coventry, you've got all these little surrounding cities around it, like Birmingham. And like I well, know Birmingham might have a bit more, but like back then, a lot of these cities rarely had showcases. You know, for artists who sang hip hop. Reggae, soul. If you're an indie band or a rock band, you've got more opportunities. But the other genres, the events were really few and far between. So yeah, um, that's why I just done it off the. I'm going to do events. Had no plan, but it gave me something to do. It took my mind off me thinking about all oh, madness. <laughs> it felt like I was going mad. So it gave me something to do. I could do it behind my four walls. I didn't have to go out. Um, and I enjoyed doing it. Um, I didn't have a reason. Um, it's just something I saw there was a need. And um, yeah, and I built it and that's when I started building um, my events. I just had no clue about events. I had no direction. I just did it just to take me through this difficult time I was going through.
0: Okay, we're going to go into later on in the interview about the ins and outs of events and any advice you might be able to offer people. But for now, I kind of want to know more about the transition from moving that event from um, Leicester to Camden. Was that an easy thing? Did that kind of just evolve on its own as well? How did that happen? What was that like? Um, Well,
2: um, obviously, I live in London, but like I said, I was spending time at my mum's. Sometimes I spend time at my mum's house. Um, obviously, I wasn't working because I left my job. I got made redundant. Um, so, I my dream was to be in Camden. That was my dream. Like, when um, I had the Leicester event, that's my dream. I'd love to have an event in Camden. Because that was like the music capital, the place to be. And, yeah, um, I was there the next year. Um, one day, I, um, I, I was in London, and... I thought, well, I need to get this venue. And this day, I can remember it was raining. I walked up and down um, Camden, knocked on, more or less, every club, <laughs> and, and whatever, and spoke to people. And by the end of the day, I had the choice of three venues. And I chose um, one in, in Venice Street um, called Under Solo. People might know it as Bar Solo. Had a nice little stage. You walked downstairs. And the stage was an alcove. I just loved the look of it. It was a nice little, um, nice little, um, you know, nice little venue. Yeah, and yeah, that's where we was for full five years. And so then being there, we were sort of the vehicle for so the artists from Leicester, Derby, and Nottingham who were coming to the Leicester events. Now I could invite them to. Um, Camden, you know, so that was opening doors for them to get a wider audience or to be seen from a different crowd. So, yeah, that was good. Like, I was sort of the vehicle then to help the artists from the Midlands get spots or, you know, opportunities in London.
0: Wow, so it kind of sounded like you kind of followed your intuition and just let things evolve as time went on. Um, Speaking of which... Um, what, did the same thing happen for Britain's Got Reggae? Or was that more yeah. planned and structured? Or Tell us a bit about um, that.
2: That wasn't planned either. Um, I was invited to fill some space in 2014 at the Hoot & Nanny. It was a reggae event. I think it's the British Reggae Industry Awards, the Bria. So they needed like two, three hours filling of artists. So they saw City Link Up, they didn't want it to be reggae, they saw the City Link Up and said, yeah, can you fill that? I thought that's a great opportunity, a different venue. And like, I just love the venue, I love the live band. And I know um, the um, Cecil Rubin, he does a reggae Thursdays, so obviously I know some reggae artists from the Midlands. So it was, it was kind of similar, so um, I asked him if I could do an event there he said yes, he gave me one January the 29th, 2015. I even remember the date. And um, I came up with the name britain Scott Reggae and just advertised like I do the City Link Up, um, looking for reggae artists to perform on this date, send your songs an email, you know, you send your bio and your email to this, you know, details to this email and um, get in touch. And I was inundated with emails. So um, we picked six people um, geographically because we had loads of like 70 odd people. So um, we had to pick six people. So me and the team sat down and we chose our six and we ran the event um, and we decorated the stage with the City up banners and everything and like Cecil Rubin just loved it he said he loved the talent we bought he'd never seen them before he loved the way we decorated the stage the professionalism blah 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 you know what I'm saying so he said can you do more dates so um I said yeah I'd love to um we gave us April so from the January was April and then from June to December so there were seven dates in 2015 so from the january to the april obviously I had three months i just said to myself i'm gonna turn this into a composition," and that's what i did so yeah and it's just gone on and i've just you know tried to perfect it as we've gone along and you know trial and error <laughs>
0: what an yes. amazing story oh my gosh so it just kind of like i said everything's just kind of evolved in right place right time right people yeah. meant to be yeah. that's amazing um we're going to talk more about it but i just want to go on to your next selection for now um which is Raphaelia uh crazy did i say that name correctly yeah yes. yeah tell us why you chose this selection
2: Oh I love the song, um, it's a famous tune, um, Louisa Marx sang the original song, um, and I think this artist sings it beautifully, you know, and yeah, I, yeah, it's a it's a good track, I think a lot of people will love, know and love this track, so yes, that's why I chose it. It reminds me of my childhood, my aunties, you know, they love their lover, lover's rock and stuff like that, so yeah, that's why I chose it.
0: Here we go with Raphaelia Crazy. You've got two sides,
5: one nice one me, I can't leave, I'm stuck in between night. I I... But you stay, you just gonna ruin Do you stay? Do you really want me?
0: Now, can you tell us um, what were some of the challenges you faced in producing the show, in, in producing Britain's um, Britain's Got Reggae?
2: Um, the main challenge is funding. Um, the accident I told you about earlier, um, I had a payout and I looked after my mum and the rest of money I invested in Britain's Got Reggae to you know for it to happen for the first three years that that happened you know that that money finished in 2018 and 2019 was the first time we got funding from the arts council we didn't think we was able to get it someone said you know we won't be able to we're not, we wouldn't be eligible. but when i checked it out we was i mean actually someone from the arts council reached out to us so yeah um they yeah they reached out to me and then I knew I was eligible. So yeah, and then 2020 COVID happened. I had my event planned and we had to cancel. So yeah, so I'm looking now to revamp and um, bring some for our fifth year because it's our fifth year this year. So we want to really make something happen but with COVID and the uncertainty and now we know live music is not going to be happening at least for this year. Um, in venues, as far as we can see. So, yeah, um, we've had to come up with other plans. So, that's a massive challenge. It may mean we have to revamp the whole thing. So, mm. that's the main challenge. But, yeah, throughout it's the funding and lack of funding and support for reggae music. I think um, reggae, like, it needs to be more on mainstream. You know, it's like it's not being shown or given the opportunities as other genres are, you know, they're saying, oh, reggae, they probably think it doesn't draw people. I'm talking about conscious reggae as well, not dancehall or the crossovers. I'm talking about reggae or what younger people, their interpretation of reggae. I just don't think there's enough platforms in the mainstream media. You know, I think there's, people are crying out, they'd love it. If reggae went on the TV, I'm sure it would blow all the, (laughs) <laughs> All the other genres out of the wall, you know what I'm saying? That's what I think. Well,
0: personally. most definitely. When you go on the, you know, I do the festival circuit. When you go on the festival circuit, even if it's not a reggae festival, you play any reggae tunes to anybody in a festival, and everybody is up, everybody's vibing. It doesn't exactly. matter if it's not their genre. Like they hear the line everybody goes crazy. Do you get what I mean? Exactly. So and you know, in it's powerful. Every corner
2: of the earth. Yeah, you know I mean, who hasn't heard of Bob Marley? You know. You know, like, there's, like, every corner. Reggae is massive. Europe, it's massive. In Asia, it's massive. You know, like, yeah. I think it's just underrated in the UK. And I just think there must be more, should be more opportunities for the younger artists as well, the ones coming up.
0: Well, this is is why platforms like us are so important to you know for the progression of the genre and to put out positive messages rather than the same old same old you know um harmful or negative stereotypes that are you know being put out generation after generation you know we have to keep up the hope like you said in terms of the funding someone was you know telling you oh well you won't be able to get that funding that just shows um our young people and in fact any generation just because one person tells you you can't do something you know doesn't mean that one it's true and what's their motive for it and and two like you should do what you know is right you don't make anybody stop you on your journey so that that just shows but what I want to ask you is in terms of what you were saying about the um the money aspect of things what would you say the biggest cost was then for you putting on the event you said you needed funding what was the thing that cost you most that maybe you hadn't thought about or, or cropped up or, you know, for people that are putting on events in the future? Well,
2: like, um, you know, I was quite... The Hootenanny helped a lot because Cecil will give you a little fee to um, pay for the band, basically. Um, so you can, you know, you've got that to, so you can make the event live. But it's like, you know, people have been helping me or, you know, the team have been working together um on the project and you know without no pay you know um there's a lot of travel costs involved you know we'd like to um you know for the entrance not having to have to walk out for their travel so this year that's what we was planning to do you know um so it's things like that it's just um it's not costs it's just overheads you know, it's not like we want to buy this big thing. You know, it's just the basic things to run the event. To make everything it adds up,
0: basically. So the little yeah, little things. Adds up, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, there's, you know, it's all different kind of things, like the venue, the flyers. You know, all them little bits do add up. You'll be yeah. surprised.
0: So, yeah. you know, you're just talking about your team members. What are your kind of essential team members? What's your blueprint, and what is? their role. I'm assuming that you have volunteer team leaders kind of come and go yeah, in and no, out, but you must have like your core team members. Yeah.
2: Well the core is me, Dino, Fivo and Chris. We've been there from day one. And what do they all know? do? Um Dino um doubles up as a host and a DJ. Um Chris is admin and stage manager. Um and who well, so, else yeah. And Fivo, he's a host as well. So that's the basic, but they've, we've worked all together from City Link So we're the core, but like the team's kind of massive when it comes to Britain's got reggae. Because remember, we hold the auditions in various cities. So we hold auditions in Manchester, Bristol, Birmingham and London, of course. So I've got little teams out there, people that have helped us on a yearly basis. You know, they'll book the rooms, they'll get the judges, because we have judges out there as well. They'll sort out the PAs you know so yeah so we've got people in those cities that help and of course we've got our judges and we've got the band you know that are the same each year so yeah so the team's quite big and obviously we've got other people that help out on the day as well
0: at the events so what advice would you give to anyone wanting to get into events whether that be as a promoter organiser or maybe even a venue owner
2: do your research see what other people are doing look at your competition um for me um like obviously i wasn't i didn't expect these events and things to turn out with the music i expect as i expected because i had no plan it was just something i'd done to just pass me you know get me through my difficult times you know take my mind off things it kept me busy so i had no direct plan with music so you know, growing the events, I kept on getting messages, people say, you're doing so well, you're doing so well. But I felt like a fish out of water because I didn't know nothing about music. Um, obviously, I'm coming across termination, ter- you know, things what people will say, and um, I wouldn't know, understand what it was. So I decided to go to university so I can understand this business. Um, I When I started believing in myself, that's what I thought I would do, so I can get a good all-round knowledge of the music business. So I um, done a three-year course, um, I started in 2016, um, I went to university to learn all aspects, 2018 had a year out, and went back in 2019 and graduated, well, yeah, completed this year, well, a couple of months ago waiting to see if we'll even get a graduation. <laughs> We're not
0: sure about that yet. <laughs> I'm sure it will happen. We're Going to move on your on to your next selection for now, which is Pierre, All Over The World. Why did you yeah. choose this selection?
2: Oh, I love that song. It's one of my faves. Um, if I could have a song like to... You know like a britain's got reggae song it could be that one because it just describes everybody does love reggae all over the world and pierre's um done well with that he's a young artist um he's more of a dancehall artist so he really surprised me when he dropped this one
5: i liked it yeah
0: okay here we go with pierre all over the world
5: Vibes all over the world yeah, yeah, yeah. Reggae music, reggae music You no matter where you come from When you hear this, you be on it open Dance have a good time with your friend them. Positive vibes in abundance Me love reggae music From me youth a youth Jamaica I catch rainwater in a on. Don't waste time and worry Tomorrow is a new day all over the world, yeah. Reggae music, I make people dance. All over the world, yeah. A peace we say I a walk. All over the world, yeah. I yeah, yeah. straight good vibes all over the world. Yeah, 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 Reggae music, reggae music. No lie, it's a feeling where money can't buy. God. Music, music,
0: music. Now, what feedback have you got from people in the reggae community with regards to the reggae industry during this pandemic? What is the kind of vibe that you're getting from people?
2: Obviously, um venues like the Hoot and Nani that support reggae acts, they're was in danger of losing their Um, venue because obviously rent has to be paid and there's no income coming in so um, I've seen artists doing GoFundMe you know because some artists that's how they make their living and obviously if they can't perform live no funds are coming in so that is an issue but I think that's artists all around not just the reggae community. I think with the black community I think an issue what was apparent is like a lot of deaths we had a few reggae artists that uh, passed away during the pandemic so that was very like uh shocking like to see in a short space of time how many people had passed so it was really sad that's the um you know for me it was sad even though i didn't know half of them like it was just sad to see how many and in succession um and obviously they're pushing this um you know, saying black people get this virus more. So, um, you know, so it's given us a lot to think about.
0: So in terms of reggae music, do you think it will be a casualty of this crisis or do you think it will thrive and rise up out of it?
2: I think we have to thrive and rise up, you know. Um, Where this virus is concerned, personally, and on my Britain's Got Leggy page, I don't put nothing about no virus on there. All we're about is raising the vibration, making people laugh, you know. um, We have a lady on there that um, goes live on a weekly basis, she does reggae rumba, you know, she's very lively, she's got the biggest smile, so basically we use our page to, you know, lift people's vibration and make them feel good, you know, because I think at this time that's what we all must be doing. so that's my focus so I've sort of sort of changed it around a bit obviously we can't do our our 2020 competition like we have before four years but like I've become like sort of a bit more creative you know like and people love her this girl you know her name's Sophia of dance culturized people love her vibration you know her videos are getting thousands and thousands of views you know she had 42,000 two thousand the other day so like yeah people love her so that's what we're trying to bring to the table and, you know, just don't watch the TV. Well, personally, I don't watch the TV. I haven't done for years. Um, and don't believe everything that you see. Do your own independent research and, you know, don't feed into the fear,
0: basically. OK, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is Mr West, Not Fair. Why did you choose this selection?
2: Because life isn't fair, is it?
0: <laughs> you
2: know, <laughs> life isn't fair. You know, and that's why I've chosen it. Um, Mr. West is our 2019 winner. Um, all the artists are all our winners over the years um, in the order that they've appeared. But um, Mr. West, um, yeah, that's his song. I, I think um, this is one of my favourites of his. he's explaining how hard we have to work and we still can't get by. You know, we've got all these different bills to pay. So, yeah, that's why I chose that song, because it reflects on how we've all been, you know, it's been, it's difficult, it's hard, you know, unless you're lucky, you're in a good paid job. But the majority of people, you know, like, especially through COVID, you know, the, you know, musicians and that, it's not fair. You know, people can't go to work and they're struggling. You know, they have their little part-time job to make things, ends meet. Can't go again, so
0: yeah,
2: it's not fair.
0: Here we go with Missa West, it's not fair.
1: Hotel was <laughs> saying the pretty hotter dirty drop. He we really promote us, so we search and search them alone, belly full while poor people are ball. Politicians <laughs> raise them here by 200%. I give to c 4 15%. That can't be a light bill, water, rate.
0: interview but i still got quite a few questions so I'm gonna kind of do a quick fire on you so if you could do it as short as succinct as you possibly can. I would really appreciate it so we can squeeze all of the interview in on all of the tunes, uh, all your uh, selections. Yeah. Obviously, um, do you think it's still possible for new artists to have longevity in the industry as people's attention spans are kind of diminished and there's this strain on time? Nobody's ever got any time for anything. Do you think you know these new artists come in and can keep people's attention, or they're just going to be replaced by the next new trend? What was your opinion on that? Well, I
2: think, yeah, of course they can. I think there's room online, everything's going online, and I think people have got more time on their hands now than more than ever, to be honest, with COVID. Remember, a lot of people ain't new joining the job. What I've noticed, a lot of new, older people are joining social media because there were some people that never joined social media before. They were too busy working. Now, a lot of people can't get the job, so I think this audience is growing still. The market's always been saturated, I think, um, I think you know, there's room for anyone, if you're a good artist, you're going to get that attention. You know, people get attention always on social media, people come up with all kinds of different things to get attention. They might not even be the best singer, they might just be funny, they might just have this attitude. So there's all different ways you can, you know, get them algorithms going. So yeah, it's, it's you know, putting in the time and the effort and being consistent.
0: So so do you think because it's all moving online and this live interaction face to face aspect has kind of been lost um do you think the soul is being taken out of the music because we all know that when of you course. hear an artist live versus hearing them on a track you can never capture that sound yeah. and what you of were course. saying about the artist being You know, um, if you, you know, you might be funny, but not be so talented. Are we going to lose them talented artists because they're not very good at marketing or they're not particularly funny, but they're amazing musicians?
2: Yeah, um, yeah, that could be. It's hard. It's hard. But like I said, um, if you're consistent and you're serious about your thing and you want to go, you can do anything you want to do. You know, if you're really serious about um pushing your thing you have to put the time in it's not gonna you know nothing comes easy you know um britain's got reggae we've built our facebook pl- platform we've got over 130 000 followers and you know that is being consistent when i first started no we weren't getting the attention it was hard but it's through being consistent looking at your content um looking at what works well what works better what don't work so well so you don't make that mistake again so it's just looking at it and analyzing what you're putting out there you see what reactions you get you know you've got your analytics there you can check you can look at every, everything look at each post to see what works well so that's what how i did it you know so and but the main thing is being consistent
0: all right, you've already given amazing advice. Do you have any final thoughts or final advice that you'd like to give to any reggae artists um, moving out of this crisis and going forward into twenty twenty one? Yeah,
2: I've got um, like I think more collaborations. I think one of the things that led to this, we've got this big gap from the elders to the youngers. You've got like a big gap, and then you've got thirty to forty year olds, and then below that, there's hardly anything. You know um i think the older ones must be you know give the younger ones a hand up more collaborations like you know like like um chronics and protege with coffee and leela ike they're established artists in their own right they've brought these younger girls up you know what i mean and get them the platform and now they're you know making regular coffees won won a grammy you know in three years so I think that has been something a big mistake that has led to this big gap you know no coaching no one bringing you know giving the younger ones a leg up i think that's what's missing and that's where um i saw what i saw was missing as well like you know the younger ones if we're not careful if the younger ones i mean the under 16s i'm talking now aren't seeing reggae or aren't reggae isn't being displayed in front of them and they're just getting all the grime, all the hip hop, all the, you know, I mean all the songs with the bad lyrics in and, um, you know, who's going to continue the legacy. So that is one of our aims to get younger people involved and make reggae look more attractive, make it look, you know, that's what why we've done it as a competition. I know people don't like competitions and that, but my aim is like we've got to do something that makes it attractive for, younger singers
0: most definitely most there's nothing more than connecting all generations as one which is why why i wanted to do this podcast as well because you know um we have to leave a legacy and we have to set an example so connecting all all um generations together and we can all teach each other is what i'm all about but what you just said was an amazing link to your final selection which is (laughs) (laughs) where i'm coming from why did you pick this one
2: Oh, Leela Ayke, I just think she's a new young artist. She's a conscious art artist. She's beautiful and she writes very well. And like this is our future, you know, we need more young singers to come up like see how creative she is on her music, but it is still reggae. You know, um, yeah, I'm just proud of both Coffee and Leela Aike They've come, like, we've got hope for the future of reggae and I hope they get loads of young fans that love them off and that will become to love reggae. So that's why I chose her.
0: Okay, well, thank you so much for being a guest today. You've shared so much wisdom and in, you, you really are an inspirational woman and I really do appreciate you taking the time to share all of that insight with all of us. Thank you. You're more, you you're more than welcome. You're um, more than welcome. I'm going to leave you with the signs of Leela Ike, where I'm coming from. I hope you'll have an amazing week and make sure you're back here next Wednesday. Until then, as always, oh, light, one love. Oh, light,
4: light, light. Oh, gosh. Hey.
0: Thankful for the blessings
4: that are falling on my table. Learning all my lessons. Now I'm willing and I'm able to do just what I can. As humble as a lamb Working towards a goal and we give thanks for helping hands Great for and strength and life for length and peace of mind Good people and good buyers, we give thanks every time In every single line Even if it no rhyme, I go sing redemption songs To the people when I think of where I'm coming from Looking back at where the journey begun said that I'm strong, I'm, I'm strong, strong. Oh. Life of a queen in a your concrete jungle Firm in a regime, so you're not going to see me stumble Mama said no come a town and mix with us You come see, they know me just surprise And some and some are humble Out Christy Christiana, yes, my left go look for mine Never sell me school, my school, I circle down and take my time Do it for the love, so naturally the light that shine Now me realize it's by design When I look at where I Looking back at where the journey begun